Hey, my name is Jeremy. Welcome here. We're glad to have you worshiping with us today. We are in the book of Revelation, and like Christy, I like stories too, so I want to start my sermon with one of those. Um, one of the things I've noticed more recently as I get a little bit older is that my tolerance for risk has changed significantly. I began to ask myself, why is that happening? And then I look back over the last four or five years, and I know you guys have seen me limping out on the stage at different times, and you'll begin to see some of the answers to that in these stories, one of which is this. When I was younger, I used to like skiing. Our youth group took a big winter retreat, and we went to Colorado, and then we did that through college, and it was really cool, and I was machismo, and I'm going to be super awesome, and I got these great visions of myself as Olympic skier, and I'm going through the trees and doing all this amazing stuff, and I think I'm super fast and super bad. And then that mentality is still there, but I get a little bit older, and I go and I try to do the same thing again when I have like a youth group, and I'm in a seminary, and I'm, I'm not the lead pastor of that youth group, but I'm helping out in that youth group, and, and I'm like, yeah, I'm st- I still got it, right? You know, here we go. Through the trees, really cool into the trees, not so cool. That was my first experience, and as a result, I ski quite a bit differently now. I've slowed down, I fall back, I let the kids go ahead and say, have at it, I'll see you at the bottom, one way or the other, on the stretcher or not, but I'll be there. <laughs> Same thing with zip lines, you know, I, I like heights, I actually don't mind falling as long as I'm attached to something, and I think it's kind of fun to go really fast, and so... In uh, my second ministry, we went to the mountains of British Columbia and northern, northwestern Canada, went up to this beautiful retreat, and they have one of these monster zip lines. You know, everybody's changing who's the biggest, who's the best. At one time, this was the biggest and the best. So people sit in the harness, and they go down, and they, I'm like, ah, that's not good enough. Let's go face first, right? And the person harnesses me up, but the harness didn't get attached exactly right. And I end up having surgery. I don't think about harnesses the same anymore. <laughs> My harnesses? No, thank you. <laughs> Not into harnesses. Roller skating, obstacle courses, all kinds of stuff have greatly decreased my desire to do fast, exciting, adventurous things. I am more in a different lane now. And I see some people patting their husband on the shoulder, <laughs> saying, uh huh. This is what happens, and as you get older, you discover that injuries hurt, and recovery takes a lot of time, and so as a result, you become more cautious and much more measured. Unfortunately, I think the same thing happens in our Christian life. Older Christians have experienced quite a bit, and what they realize is that injuries hurt and recovery sometimes takes a while. And so as a result, we we become cautious and measured. And while that may be good for your physical body, it is actually not that good for your faith. You see, if you see a young Christian, what you see in them is a willingness to share their faith with anyone because they've never been rejected. Like, sure, why not? I just discovered this. Let me tell you, it's super cool. Old, older Christian, like, hey, hold on, you might want to go a little easy in there a little bit. You don't know what's going to happen. Younger Christians praying these big, crazy prayers like, oh, hey, God, do you think you could? 
the Lord Christian like, now hold on, make sure you say if it's the Lord's will. <laughs> Add that on there. Younger Christians are taking risks because they've never fallen and they're willing to try it and fall and get up and shrug it off. But the older Christians are we're like, eh, I'm not so sure. You see, once you've fallen a few times, you know how, about, how bad it hurts and how hard it is to get up. And you can think of all the potential things that could go wrong. You can imagine the repercussions. Well, if this, then this, and this, and this, and I'll have to deal with this, and better, well, hold on. And we think of that sometimes as wisdom, but perhaps it is really fear disguised as such. Well, I'm not a fearful person. I like speed and things like that. Well, true. But my behavior is changed as a result of anticipating the consequences of certain actions. Now, while that's wisdom in life, it could be fear instead of faith. Today, what we're going to see with the Apostle John trying to communicate Jesus' words to the people in Asia, Asia Minor is that they have very good reason to be afraid. They really do. Their fears, their feelings, their, their concerns are valid. They're not making these up. There's a real potential that when they go outside the doors of their underground meeting, they might be killed. Not necessarily true for us, but true for them. They walk out, and if they're identified, they could be thrown to the lions. And so they start meeting in the tombs or the catacombs underground and hiding out because of their fear. Jesus is writing to them, and he's assuring them that despite your fears of what could be, whether it's famine, death, martyrdom, whatever... That in fact, what is, that is, he himself, is even bigger than that. That's the vision of Revelation. Why do we get prophecy? Why do we get all these strange apocalyptic things that we don't understand? It's got crazy visions and this and that. I don't get it. Why? The point is to convince you that what is and what will be is much bigger than anything you're experiencing right now. No matter how big your imagination is, no matter what terrible things you can envision, no matter how scary that real obstacle in your life is, there is something coming that's even bigger. This is the book of Revelation revealing a vision of the Son of Man, the Almighty. Here's a structure of today's sermon, and I hope you'll see the flow in this, and I'll show you the flow in the passage as well, but it goes like this. There's a problem that the people of uh, Asia Minor encounter, the problem that we encounter, and that's the fear of what could be. Oh no, what if? It might. And true, we could be right. That could happen. But the solution then is to overcome the fear of what could be by the reality of what is. In fact, what is, is much bigger than what could be. And that which is, is the same who is and was and is to come. Jesus. Enlarge your vision of Jesus and step out, and you will discover that your fears quickly fade. Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20, here's our theme for today. Enlarge your vision of Jesus and step out. You can download this online. You can write it down. Uh, You can check it out later if I'm going too fast. Revelation chapter 9, sorry, chapter 1, verse 9. says this, I, John, 
your brother and partner in the tribulation and in the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. This is dictation inspiration. To Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. Then I turned to the voice that was speaking to me, the great mistake, or actually a good turn. And on turning, I saw seven lampstands. In the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held the seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I wonder if John had ever heard Jesus say that before. Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, here it is. Seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, what in the world is going on there? This is only the start. This is the first of many visions that John gets, but one overwhelming enough to knock him to his feet. Well, remember what's going on at that time, that time was under the domination of the Roman Empire. And in particular, this sadistic ruler, Domitian, was on the throne. Here's a picture of this guy, AD 95. And he was reigning throughout the Roman Empire, which is mostly the Mediterranean region. You'll see it here on this slide. But it spread uh, a little bit further than that. But for our purposes, we're mostly interested in Asia Minor or Turkey to the right just below the Black Sea, which is where these seven churches are that he's writing to. Here's a zoom in of that. And basically what it is, if you can see it, I can't really tell how you can see from out there, but there's a red line that goes from place to place to place. It's basically a postal route. Starts on the island of Patmos, which is about 40 or 50 miles off uh, the coast. And then it goes inland to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And that's how this letter would have traveled along the highways and major thoroughfares from place to place to place. So it's written as a letter. It has specific churches addressed, but it's also for all the churches to read. Like, we're going to read the one to Laodicea, and that's to the Laodiceans, but it's also to us. So too with all the others. Like, they would hear what is said of the other churches. So it'd be like, if I came to, Jesus came to town, and he wrote a letter to Christian Celebration Center to Midland Free and Messiah Lutheran and the Baptist Church, and they passed them around. I know what you'd do. Like, what's he saying about the Baptist Church? (laughs) 
oh man, that's pretty bad. <laughs> oh boy, what's he say about us? <laughs> you know, that's what's happening here in these letters. He's giving them often. Each of them gets sort of an encouragement and then a challenge, much like a typical sermon. We're going to praise you for this, and then we're going to try to push you to move beyond into this. Such is the case with this letter. It's moving around throughout the Mediterranean. It's coming from the Apostle John, and he is holed up, or actually um, not to his own desire, but by the choice of the emperor, he's been exiled to the island of Patmos. Now what that means is this, if you're thinking about Bermuda, Bahama, come on, yeah, if you're thinking about that, it's not that. He's on an island, true, and it's a beautiful island today, and the contrast and irony is this, you know, you can take a Mediterranean cruise, and you can have a beautiful dinner overlooking the island of Patmos, where John was in isolation. It's not that great. It's kind of like having a fancy dinner at Alcatraz, right? Like, oh, wow, look at how the people here suffered. That's what was going on with John. See, because he was the bishop of that area, because he was old, because he was well-to-do, well-respected, he didn't get thrown to the lions like all the other peons. Instead, the emperor shows him mercy and exiles him to this spot. Now, that doesn't mean his life is going to be great. It just means he gets to live a while longer and die far away from his friends. So here he is on this island. He's able to communicate. He's not been whipped, which many of the other people there would have been and just left to die. Instead, he's obviously given a, uh, something to write with and able to receive support. It makes me think how interesting it would be for him, obviously now having a lot of free time to sort of look back on his life. Like, wow, here I am in exile. Did any of it matter? I traveled with this guy by the name of Jesus for three years. What were some of the things he was saying to me? I mean, just a minute ago, I had this vision of him, and in it he told me in verse 9, I, your brother John, partner in the tribulation and the kingdom. Oh, wait, tribulation. What was it that Jesus said? Oh, yeah, John sixteen thirty three. Jesus said before he died and rose and left, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. Boy, was he right. But take heart, I have overcome the world. There's your lead into Revelation, right? Jesus is, they've experienced tribulation. There's going to be more to come. But take heart, I have overcome. And in this strange passage, we see the first thing that's going on is this juxtaposition, this combination of these two words, tribulation and kingdom. Like they're both lumped together. Why? When I think of kingdom, I don't think of tribulation. I think of like great feasts and banquets and kings and princesses and all this other good stuff. But here in the same verse, your partner in tribulation and the kingdom. Well, you don't get one without the other. And neither did Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, just like he suffered, you're going to suffer. And that might be scary and that is real. But the reality is what is bigger, the kingdom, Jesus, overcomes the smaller, the temporal, the tribulation. In him and in us and us in him. The trouble is, we as human beings have this natural tendency to be afraid. We're afraid. We fear. And you may not think of yourself as a fearful person. I don't think of myself as a fearful person. But I know that I can anticipate consequences. I can see repercussions. I can 
understand the implications of certain things that are going to affect me very strongly, and I don't really like that. What if this happens? Then everything else could go down. Or what if this? What if that? Well, that's called fear. And fear for us may look quite a bit different than it did for them, but both of them are legitimate. For them, they may really get thrown to the lions. For us, we may lose our job. We may have a lot of different struggles. Those are real. But even though that could happen, what is, what is right now, Jesus, is bigger than that. So I want you to imagine for just a moment at the start of this sermon, we're going to work through it the rest of the way, what is one thing that you are genuinely afraid of? You can write it down. You can think about it. If you don't want anyone to see it, just tuck it away in the back of your head. What is one thing you're actually scared of? What is something, okay, I'll say it different. What is something you're really concerned about? Something you really don't want to happen? Anything but fill in the blank. Such was the case in the first century. John was imagining those things. Will I be fed to the lions? Will I be burned at the stake? Will my churches be scattered? And this is what God does. He doesn't answer those questions for him. but Instead, he gives him a vision. And this is the vision. There is a Savior. Here is the picture. This is the vision for John. This is the picture for you. This is the picture for me. Here it is. Here's a slide. There is a Savior Yes, there is fear. But there is a Savior whose eyes are like fire. He penetrates you even further than your fears. He sees into your heart and soul. He knows things that I don't and no one else ever will. He sees you. There is a Savior. A Savior whose feet are like burning bronze. They are glowing. They can walk on anything. Water, fire, whatever. doesn't matter. There is no stopping him. His feet are like bronze. His voice is like the roar of the ocean. When he speaks, you'll know it and no one can run. He holds the stars in his hands. You thought it was Pleiades or whoever or dear Abby? No. It's not a horoscope. It's not divination. It's not strange libations to gods unknown. But there is one God who made everything and that God holds it in his very hands. Who controls the outcome of all things? He who made all things, who holds the stars in his hands. He's he's got the stars. Don't you think he can hold you? He holds the stars in his mouth as a double-edged sword. In that time, they were afraid of the sword of the emperor. But that sword is nothing compared to his. He holds the keys to heaven and hell. So even if you face Caesar's sword, you will be released from the dungeon into eternal life. This is a real vision. This is a big one. This is huge, and it actually has to be. And I don't mean to get morbid, and I don't mean to get down or anything like this, but the reality is this. Most of us insulate our lives and cushion our existence for good reasons. And one of the reasons is, if we actually saw all of the evil that's going out there in the world, we could not handle it. We would be crushed under reality of uh, child abuse, rape, the slave trade, drugs, whatever greed and other things go on in politics, terrorism, you name it, it's bad. 
And we have cottages and lake houses and pretty days at the park, and that's great, so we don't have to think about it. But the reality is, if we did, if we actually knew, you think you want to know everything? I don't want to know everything. If you knew everything, you could not handle it. And so what's happening is God is giving you a vision of what you should see. He's giving you a vision of Jesus. And this thing is bigger. It is so much bigger than all that other bad stuff. And it has to be. Because if it wasn't, we would all fall. Everything would crumble. That's why there has to be a heaven to give hope. If there's no heaven, there's no hope. That's why there has to be a hell. Church, there does. We can't go liberal and think that all of a sudden people are going to be annihilated because it seems much more compassionate. If you offend an infinite, almighty, holy, righteous, and just God, there has to be a hell. There's either the cross or hell. It's clear. Jesus is real and he is big. He is so much bigger than everything. And we have to wrap our minds around that even though we can't in order to make everything else seem small. That's what happens to John when he's overwhelmed by this vision. Look at verse 17. Here it is up on the screen. John has things that he's afraid of. John has bad things that he will know will happen. John sees bad things that happen around him. But when John sees Jesus, he falls down. Boom! Everything else is gone from his mind. There's only one other thing he can do. And that's fall to his face. It says, when I saw him... I fell. I fell. When you are overwhelmed with the reality of Jesus, everything else seems small. Yes, those other things seem big, and if we don't have a clear vision of Christ, then those things grow. We concentrate on them. They become our focus. We lose our confidence, and we fall in fear. But here the option is this. You either fall in fear of your fears, or you fall in fear of Jesus. Which will it be? Fall at his feet. Fall. Was John the only one? No, not at all. Actually, I think this is a consistent pattern all throughout Scripture. As you follow the falling theme, look what you see. Abram, before he is Abraham. Abram first encounters God in chapter 17, verse 3, and he fell on his face. And then God speaks to him. Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting in Numbers chapter 20, and they fell on their faces. Joshua, be strong and be courageous, right? He must have been an awesome leader. That's what made him so effective, is his strategic thinking and his visionary skills. Look at this. Joshua chapter 5. This is one of my favorites. That's why we're going to actually put it up on the screen. It says, when Joshua is by Jericho. Remember Joshua, battle of Jericho. Walls come tumbling down. Woohoo, go team. Here's what really happened behind the scenes. When Joshua is by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his sword in hand. This time it wasn't coming out of his mouth. It was in his hand. Same guy. Joshua went to him and said, um... <laughs> Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Because I'm really hoping you're for us right now. And he said, no, not either really. I'm commander of the army of the Lord and now I'm here. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth 
and worshiped and said, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said, take off your sandals. You're in God's presence. You're on holy ground now. Joshua did so. Manoah and his wife, after they offered a sacrifice, they were watching, and then the angel of the Lord went up in a flame on the altar, and they fell on their faces to the ground. Ezekiel, another prophet who gets a vision, rose, went out early into the valley, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there, and he fell on his face. Daniel, chapter 6, or chapter 8, same thing, he falls. Saul, when he encounters Jesus, falls. Everybody who encounters Jesus in even half of his glory falls to their face. See, here's the thing, church. Listen carefully. One way or another, you're going to fall. Neither you're going to let your fears knock you down or you're going to fall at the feet of Jesus. And whichever you think is bigger will determine which way you go. Whichever is bigger will be the one that controls you. If your fear is bigger, you fall to the fear, and the fear controls you. If Jesus is bigger, then you fall to him, and he controls you. When your vision is enlarged, then you discover what is is bigger than what you imagine might be. Because he who was and is and is to come is the biggest ever. The reality of what is is bigger than anything you can imagine. And thus you get a vision that is beyond your imagination because he's just that big. That is the almighty, that is the vision of the Son of Man. The problem is we fear what could be. We focus, we concentrate. Oh no, and it's real, it could happen. But we have to overcome it with the reality of what is, enlarging our vision of Jesus in order to step out. Now let's go back to some of those favorite characters for a minute. I think that's what happened to them, and that's what I'm hoping will happen to us as well. We love Joshua 1.9. For those of you who have been in church for a while, you can probably quote it. You're like, oh yeah, I love that one. Be strong and be courageous. Do not fear. Be dismayed. You go, girl. Thank you, Oprah. You can do it. Overcome. You're strong. Yay. Is that how they overcame? Is that it? Just confidence in self, a good self-esteem, good education, maybe got on a new diet, made some New Year's resolutions, and all of a sudden, wow, they're on the right path. No, no, no. Here's what happened. Joshua 1.9, it says this. God is speaking to Joshua. He says, haven't I commanded you? Be strong and be courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Why? Because you can do it? No. (laughs) That's wrong place to place your faith. The reason is, for the Lord your God is with you. That's what gives you confidence. Kids, when you walk down the hall of Midland High, when you walk down the halls of Dow High, what gives you confidence? Not because you're a certain height or you got the right shoes or the right clothes or the right hair. You have confidence because God is with you. That's what gives you confidence. When you go into that meeting, when you go home to whatever you're about to face, wherever it is you go, the omnipresent God is there with you. And that is is what gives you confidence. If you follow all those stories, you see the exact same thing. It's so funny. Again, I said this last week, but we think, oh man, Abraham, he heard the voice of God. If I could just hear the thunder from heaven, I'm sure I'd know what to do. 
All God said is, go to the land, I'll show you. That's it. Well, how are you going to make a nation out of a guy who can't have any kids? Just go, I'll show you. To Moses, he says, go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses couldn't even imagine how terrible it was going to be. Those plagues, I bet he had no idea. I mean, he was afraid he couldn't speak well. Actually, Moses, that's not the half of it. What you're actually going to encounter is like rivers of blood and flies and gnats and people dying and armies wanting to kill you, but I'm not going to tell you all that quite yet. So too with us. You don't need to imagine what could be. It could actually be worse. But it's not bigger than Jesus. So why do we have confidence? Well, Judges, back to the same text, says this, Does not the Lord go before you? He marches out before you. Go with the strength you have. Don't think you have enough, but whatever you have with God is enough. So go with that. Please, Lord, how can I? My family is the weakest. What? Are you worried about what might be or what is? What is is a vision of Jesus which is awe-inspiring and terrifying at the same time. Yes, he is good. But he's not tame. He's scary. You need an enlarged vision. Stop blaming yourself for the things that already happened or might happen or could happen or whatever else. But get a vision of him who was and is and is to come. All these people, same reaction. Moses, Abram, Aaron, Aaron, Joshua, Daniel, the Apostle John, Paul. They all got a vision of Jesus and fell to his feet. And then those things they feared didn't matter anymore. That is why Jesus says to us in Luke chapter 12, verse 32, Fear not. Fear not, little flock. You hear the same words here in Revelation. Fear not. Fear not. You get that over and over and over again. Why? Well, Revelation 1.13 actually tells us, look at this. Here's something we probably glossed over earlier. See, there's a vision of one like the Son of Man. He's got these awesome eyes and incredible feet and the sword and the hair and everything to go with it. But where is he? Where is he? Is the vision like way up here and I can't see him or touch him and it will never come near me? The vision shows him in the midst of the lampstands. In other words, Jesus is right there. The lampstands are what? What? Churches. What are we? The church. Where's Jesus? Here in the midst of us right now. Right there. Right there. Right there. I see him. Do you? Do you see him standing here right now? It's not me. He is in the midst. Be strong and be courageous. Why? Because he's here. He's real. And what you fear, yeah, it might be out there, and it could be whatever, but Jesus is here. That's big. We need to enlarge our vision and step out. What that looks like for you today, I'm not really sure. I can't exactly preach a sermon individualized to every single person in this room because I don't know exactly what all of your circumstances are. But I know this, the principle is the same, that 
there's something that we wrote down earlier that we're concerned about. And it may be different for all of us, but it's there. And the reality is, whatever you wrote down, I don't care what it is, Jesus is bigger. Jesus is bigger than that. So you're afraid of something that could be. But what is, he who was and is and is to come, is bigger than that. And so the same thing, regardless of the situation, is what we all need to do. We need to enlarge our vision. What does that look like? Well, let me give you some examples. These are going to be specific, just in case it hits you. If it doesn't, say, no, it's something else, that's fine. I want to ask you the question before I give the specifics, though. What does it look like for me in my specific setting, whether it's at work or at home or retirement or at school or wherever, what does it look like for me to enlarge my vision of Jesus and step out? What does that mean for me specifically? Here's some potential examples. One is, maybe God is calling you to volunteer. As Christy said this morning, there's needs in children's ministry. That's scary. To be a kindergarten teacher? That's scary. (laughs) Try it. See what happens. What about starting a small group or uh, perhaps taking on a sponsor child? Maybe you need to sign up for a Bible study. Maybe you need to make a commitment. Ooh, I know that's scary. Here's something even scarier. Perhaps you need to break a commitment. You need to say no. I'm not talking about your marriage, but I'm talking about something that overcrowds the priority of God in your life. Maybe you need to say no to that. Perhaps even today, specifically this very moment after our service, you're going to the uh, church picnic and you decide, hey, I don't know that person over there. Here's my big leap of faith. I'm going to say, hi, what's your name? How long have you been going to Midland Free? Don't say, I've never seen you before. They may say 30 years. Introduce yourself to someone you don't know. Take a leap. Invite someone to church. That friend you've been working with for a long time, they need to hear about Jesus. Now's the chance. Perhaps you can't tell them what work. Invite them here and ask them later over lunch what they thought. Follow up. Perhaps you need to follow through on baptism. I know there's a lot of different traditions and beliefs and mindsets represented here, but if if you're at a place in your life where you're not sure of your baptism or you've never been baptized, then you need to do that to be obedient to Christ. Step out. It's going to involve risk. It's going to involve fear. It's going to involve some of the unknown. So too with all of God's people before us. And yet, how did that work for them? Those who live by faith, even if they are cut up, still overcame. Enlarge your vision of Jesus and step out. Perhaps it means initiating, perhaps it means ending, but whatever it means for you, do. By grace, through faith, because Jesus is here with you, even to the end of the world. Father, we thank you for your only son, Jesus, who does all things well and never leaves us or forsakes us. He is in our midst. And we, we can't see him like we can see the table. We can't see him 
like we can see each other, but we pray that you would help us to see him like never before. Help us to see him as big and scary and awful and amazing and someone we have to fall down at his feet. Lord, we praise you and thank you. And we worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen.